Hello innovators, explorers and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast and on today's podcast I have got a very special guest here with me. His name is Colin Woodward. Colin is from Stealth Test and at Stealth Test they provide a private testing environment for web3 startups and web3 projects and in this episode we not only talk about testing and security we also talk about the regulatory framework because Colin has a background in law so he understands this space and we also touch onto the topic such as where is the market going where he sees innovation coming out in the web3 space what are the future trends that he is bullish about and once again nothing in this should be taken as investment advice this is an episode to increase your knowledge about what is going on in this industry finally i do not run any ads on my podcast my only ask is that you share this episode on your social media with that out of the way let's get into it Colin, it's great to have you on the show. I can already sense that we're going to have an awesome conversation. I'm so looking forward to talking with you because as just we were talking earlier, everyone in Web3 is involved in a number of projects and we are always trying and testing new things. So for some of our audience who might not be as familiar with NFT24 or TechGC, can you please share a bit about all the things that you are involved in recently or the things that you're passionate about recently? Yeah. Sure. Most of my day is spent as president and general counsel of Stealth Test. And Stealth Test is uh, an API-based Web3 developer platform and tool set that features private testing networks for most EVM-compatible chains, right? Of course, we're on Ethereum, we're on Polygon, Moonbeam, Arbitrum. We're working on Optimism right now. Nice. And so the idea here is that within our private testing environments, developers can battle test their smart contracts, all of their token assets, and make sure that, that everything is sound before they deploy to mainnet, when of course everything is, is then permanent and they have to live with any mistakes or errors that might exist, right? And these private test nets are unique because they're all isolated nodes of one, right? Meaning that uh, for our all of our clients and our enterprise clients included, they have these intimate, private, and secure sandboxes, right? Where yes. they can iterate on a collaborative state to make sure that their smart contracts don't have any errors, that all their token metadata is, is within the, the confines of what's contemplated with the project. And then when they're comfortable with how everything looks, they can deploy right to mainnet. So that's what Stealth Test is in a nutshell. And that's what I spend 95 plus percent of my time on these days. Oh, fantastic. So I am slightly familiar with this space because I used to be part of the founding team of cookbook.dev, which is a platform for smart contracts to, to source smart contracts. And I've worked quite closely with the Remix team and Remix Ethereum's team and, and Alchemy and, and all sorts of projects in this space. I know that this is a much needed tool and, and yeah, private testers provide like such a valuable, I don't know, piece of the whole Web3 development landscape. Yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. So what type of clients or, or people use it currently? Yes, yeah, so we've got customers from 
pretty much every segment of the the market pipeline. We've got larger enterprise customers who come in and their table stakes is that they demand this full suite of compliance and security tools, right? Because they're in a position where most of these folks are experimenting on behalf of their organizations with Web3 for the first time. Yes. And Perhaps they think, oh goodness, perhaps a, a bit of my job is at risk here. I better make sure that everything goes smoothly. And also yes. these large brands who have tens or hundreds or millions of, of customers, right? They don't have an appetite for things to go wrong in a public forum, right? So they they don't, they're not interested in using the public test nets like Gorley, right? Because even when you put things on a public test net like Gorley, it's all out there for the prying eyes of, of the public to see, right? And we yeah. know that there are tons of folks out there that will scrape data, that will try and gain a some sort of market advantage. If they find out ahead of time before there's a public announcement that, say, Adidas or Pepsi or something like that is about to launch a new Web3 project, right? And if if a large enterprise company like that is putting their token media on a public test net, mm. token metadata on a public test net, then that provides an opportunity for bad actors to get in there and create big problems for these organizations that, you know, for brand loyalty and brand goodwill purposes, they just, they certainly can't have those kind of associated risks. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Especially for DeFi, because there might be bad actors looking for vulnerabilities in a contract and they can see how you are testing it on a public testnet. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. What are some other changes you have seen when it comes to Web3 development in the last year or so? Or how's the space changing or evolving? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is with just the smaller to medium Web3 developer teams. I, I think that in the craziness of the previous bull cycle, everyone continued to embrace the build fast and break things a mindset, right? Yes. And I think for lots of reasons, we are now gradually moving past that. The first and foremost reason is that we've now seen an innumerable number of smart contract exploits, hacks that have occurred over the past couple of years. And most of those projects, once they launched, and if there was a hacker and exploit, they're dead on arrival, right? There's no, yes. there's very difficult to recover from that. And so without taking privacy and security of your smart contracts and your token assets seriously, right from the outset, it's you're really putting yourself in a compromised position to, to be successful with the project going into the future. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And a lot of the listeners are founders of Web3 projects. What advice do you have for them? The, the simplest advice was would would be to don't use a public test net when you're kind of <laughs> developing and, and iterating for your projects, whether it's DeFi related, whether it's NFT related. Yes. If it involves a smart contract or token asset or both, I would highly recommend you consider using a private test net like Stealth Test. Yeah, it the yeah. value, security, and peace of mind pays for itself many times over. And we have tools that allow folks to collaborate within one of these single sandbox testing environments. So it, it doesn't have to be um, necessarily a an individual mm. lift on one person in the organization. You can have multiple people working simultaneously to complete um, shared goals. Yeah. Another thing is I find like projects like yours are able to see 
the demand in the market or how many people are entering and leaving the space. What are your thoughts about the state of the current sort of Web3 adoption or blockchain adoption? What are you seeing? Are you seeing any changes? Are we getting some interest back or not really? Yeah, the current state of kind of Web3 development, many of many of the things are probably fairly obvious. We are we're going through a slowdown right now. In yes. in my opinion, this is in large part because of the regulatory uncertainty that the US government has interjected into our entire industry here. And it's causing perhaps some developer teams that were previously considering getting into the industry to mm-hmm. to rethink that maybe they're pivoting to AI maybe they're just yes. continuing about their business and waiting for a better opportunity to launch their specific idea web3 idea into the marketplace right um, yes. but i think what we know for sure is that the the current administration and the current regulatory bodies administrative mm-hmm. bodies that govern things here in the US are causing what i like to call a chilling effect and the chilling effect is that it's their approach to how Web3 businesses have come to market in the past is causing Mm -hmm. new developer teams to reconsider coming into this space to to the detriment of both those teams and the Web3 space at large. And even greater than that, the the US economy, honestly. So yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Because last month, I went to Token 2049 and a few weeks ago, I went to Future Blockchain Summit in Dubai. Token 2049 was in Singapore and I was amazed at that there was so much interest in blockchain and Web3. There was no talk of slowdown. (laughs) It did not feel like it, especially in in Singapore. It did not feel like it at all. And US was out of the conversation, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) It's like a lot of the companies and startups building products and they don't even accept like consumers or clients from US just because of it's too much headache. So just like the rest of the world is a lot of things are still happening. It felt like it. It has never felt like in my last 18 years, because US has always been the center of tech startups. Just this morning, I was in a VC summit and they're saying that something like 20 years ago, like 80% of all the venture capital activity was in, in from US. Now it's around 50% and the trend seems to will continue to go in that direction. It, it is a lot worse for Web3 was probably 90% US, like the venture capital activity. Now it's probably 10%. Uh, it, it's just because of uncertainty, as well as you mentioned, AI stealing some of the thunder <laughs> or hype. Yeah, and yeah, changing the narrative of sort of things and them getting bigger value. So founders, traditionally, everyone is like suddenly an AI startup, (laughs) even if you have just like everything was suddenly a fintech or a Web3 or a blockchain based startup, crypto startup in 2021, same thing. But yeah, talking about all this, how, what has been some of your most successful user acquisition strategies for Stealth Test? Yeah. So one of our, this is, this might sound, sound a bit general, but we go out and we try and find developer teams wherever they are currently working and mm-hmm. w- within whatever particular area of web three that they're operating the small dev teams straight up to the, the dev teams that are already situated within a large kind of enterprise level company mm-hmm. that are thinking about initiating on a web three particular strategy, right? Our job is to go out and find these developer teams and showcase our tool set and describe to them both in in word and via demo 
the tremendous value that stealth tests can bring to their current processes and the drastic amount of time that can be saved if they don't have to worry about these security issues when they're in the the early testing phases of their own, or if they're perhaps they're, they've propped up a, a node of their own in order to do testing, which is very expensive and is time consuming and requires lots of engineering man hours to, to prop up. Our, again, our primary job is to go out and facilitate relationships with all of these developer teams, showcase the tool set, earn their trust through demonstration, and make sure that they're happy campers all the way through the product lifecycle. That's fantastic. It's because not many founders initially, when they're building a product, think about distribution, which is such a big part of making your startup successful. You can have the best product, but if you cannot get it in the hands of the people, like Amazon has done distribution fantastically well, and and we all know how successful it is. So it's just, are there any tactics that have been really successful for you, like going to hackathons or, or anything else that how do you reach these development teams? Because developers are so hard to reach and one of the most expensive categories in Web3 to reach. They are, they are. I think a couple of things have been the most successful for us. Activating our really wide professional network, both via our investor base and just the organic connections that we've made within the industry over the last several years. Myself and the rest of our kind of senior leadership team have been doing this for quite some time in multiple Mm -hmm. businesses, even in fact, and really nurturing those relationships and knowing knowing through the grapevine who might be working behind the scenes to get something up and and running and uh, just getting those introductions as early as possible so that we can try and make an impact and identify ways in which we can facilitate their workflow even before they really get started. Um, Because that's the ideal reach point there is finding a team who's still early on in the iteration phase so that were they to adopt stealth test, it wouldn't cause some kind of large upheaval in their current way of doing business on a day-to-day basis to to change their processes. Yeah, that's very true. But is what I have, this is just my personal experience and something what we were talking about earlier before I pressed the record button that people in Web3 or who are entrepreneurial, they're always building on something new. They're always working on something in stealth, even though it might not say on LinkedIn, they're working on something stealth. I can guarantee vouch for it. They are working on something. They are building something. And which is what I find really refreshing about Web3. And that's what I always found Web3 moves so much faster than any other sector. And it's so hard for me to keep up with everything that's coming up in say DeFi or real world tokenize, like asset tokenization and so many niches in, in Web3, so much happening, so many projects every single day that, and despite industry being so small. So it's very interesting to see that in, in your point of view, what is like the sector of Web3 that you are most bullish about in the next 12 months? Because there's, there's all sorts of things. There's DeFi, there's CFI, NFTs, Metaverse, there's real world asset tokenization. There's so many different parts of Web3. Yeah, I think that I continue to remain probably the most bullish, at least for now, on NFT. All right. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, the current legal posture, at least of the SEC, has indicated that they are not necessarily targeting NFTs as securities, right? And and by NFTs, I Mm. mean, in the technical sense that these are non-fungible assets, right? And each individual token is a unique token, right? Now there's, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of different ways in which 
you know, perhaps some previous businesses have gone out and raised money to sell those NFTs. And those process of raising money might run afoul of securities laws. But the tokens themselves, I think, were trending towards perhaps at least a, a safe, a temporary safe zone, I, I would hope. So yeah. I think from that perspective, I'm bullish on NFTs. I think that for the broader crypto landscape, especially most like ERC-20 tokens, most fungible tokens that are utility of nature and associated with the platform, I think that what we're going to find here in Q1 is that the decision on the Coinbase versus SEC case yes. is going to have a dramatic impact on what happens the rest mm -hmm. of 20. If Coinbase is successful on its current motion for mm -hmm. judgment meetings, I think that the rest of 2024 is, yes. is going to be quite bullish. And that is a conservative way of putting it, because I, yes. I think then we will finally get a little bit of clarity, at least in terms yeah. of how the courts are viewing the SEC's current posturing towards uh, Coinbase and other crypto exchanges. And we'll get a good sense of how or whether the SEC might back off their enforcement strategy the rest of the year. And yeah. that could lend some really open fields for crypto the remainder of the year. On the flip side, if the court decides that it cannot make a decision definitively on Coinbase's motion and the motion is denied, then Coinbase and the SEC will go through what will probably be years of a couple of years of discovery. And this whole situation will just continue to linger and we won't have any clarity on the <clears throat> the security side of mm -hmm. most of these tokens, and it's it'll just continue to be a dark cloud over over crypto, and certainly not a bullish kind of posture from there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah that that is very true. R regulation is a big part, but apart from regulation on the NFT side, where do you see the adoption for NFTs will come from? What sort of utility would spark it? Yeah, I think the biggest one that we're just now trying to starting to see a bit of product market fit is around blockchain gaming, I think, and the ways in which folks can not only interact with these different objects that are tokens on a blockchain, but also custody them. And, mm -hmm. and these applications, these game developers can create really novel and unique utility utilizing these tokens. So I think that's one of the biggest ways that is probably low hanging fruit for mm -hmm. uh, for web3 to penetrate the public conscious right and achieve this wider adoption as long as the blockchain related technical components are obfuscated in some way right like yes. it, the users don't need to know up front that technically their assets are nfts right and yes. and hopefully there is maybe account abstraction right for yeah. 3.5 right account abstraction that that kind of obfuscates the fact that these blockchain transactions are are happening in the background when assets are moved or when they're acquired, et cetera. So. Well, that's fantastic. Do, do you play any Web3 games at the moment? Yeah, I'm, I've been a part of both the Yugo Labs ecosystem and then also yes. the Pixel Vault ecosystem. So those are the two that I've predominantly been following along with fairly closely over the last several months. They're both really great teams funded. And I think that they're both carving out a, a special niche for themselves in the blockchain gaming world. So it's still very much the early days, but they're both onto something very special, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I have another question that's a bit slightly different, and that is, what is your contrarian view in Web3? Contrarian view. 
the good one. Or just like a non-mainstream view compared to what everyone has. Ordinarily, I'd have a, a pretty quick answer for you, but so I'll stick on the, I'll stick on the policy side of things as it relates yes. to crypto, I think. Yeah. Um, I think that, and this may or may not be contrarian, but I think that once we reach 2025 and yeah. we have, we have clarity around, for instance, again, like the SEC Coinbase lawsuit, we have clarity around the presidential election that, yes. uh, that a lot of web three based business in the U S is going to return and return very quickly. And the VC dollars that might ordinarily go offshore for opportunities will actually be reactivated here in the United States. And I don't think that the US is going to lose its lead on the crypto side of things permanently. I think this is just up in the road, a pause caused by the current administration, but eventually there, there will be a, a new administration, new folks making decisions. Yes. And, and then to add on top of that, it's blatantly clear that these large incumbents, these large enterprise incumbents in the U.S. are yes. actively experimenting in blockchain. Absolutely. Most yes. In the banking and the financial sector, right? These guys are all trying to catch up to yes. the rest of the industry in terms of developing new products that can be activated on a blockchain or offering their current products and services with some sort of blockchain association. For goodness sake, like JP Morgan has its own blockchain, right? And I think lots of the asset managers that yes. move most of the money in this country are going to develop those relationships, both within the traditional financial organizations and with some of the, the newer crypto native incumbents. And once the money really starts to move, after we get a bit of regulatory clarity, um, we're, we're going to see a, a cycle unlike any other cycle that we've seen. Yeah, oh, definitely. I 100% agree. I think even just even the news of Bitcoin ETFs being allowed or even not even the real thing, it's it just creates such a huge movement in the market that you can see that there is still a lot of appetite and there's lots and lots of people and investors waiting on the sidelines, ready to deploy. They just need that good news and, and they're just waiting on the sidelines to see what happens. So I completely agree. And, and and I'm sure you understand this space better than most people do because you're from a law background. Is that right? How did you yeah, end up how did you end up in in crypto, blockchain, web three, all these things? Yeah, perhaps a, a funny story, but perhaps not very dissimilar to how most other people get involved in crypto and blockchain. So this was, I first got introduced in 2017. Um, it was around the time of that previous bull market. The I was whole working... ICOs of shit coins and altcoins. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. I was, I was working at a law firm, right. And yes. in, in private practice and the, the colleague that I shared a wall with one day he comes over to my office. He's obviously trying to procrastinate on his own work or something like that. And he sits down and he's, Hey, you ever heard about crypto? And I was like, no, I have no idea what crypto is. Tell me about crypto, Dave. And Dave sat there for about an hour and he told me everything that he knew about crypto. And he showed me yes. some apps on his phone. And, and he told me that he was making a lot of money at that particular time because it was part of the bull cycle. And I was like, yes. all right, 
I'll give this crypto thing a try. And I went home and I did my own deep dive and signed up all the on all the various exchanges and started to learn the X's and O's, the ins and outs of blockchain, the technology that underlied all of these crazy tokens that were flying around at that time. Yes. And remained very engaged throughout the rest of the bull cycle there. And then about as quickly as I made some money, I lost it all, as most people do in their first experience with, with the crypto cycles. But then the 2018 bear market kind of set in and I remained like super engaged and interested in what exactly blockchain could become in the future outside yes. of just some really weird thing to gamble on, right? Because it at the end of the day, what we have here are these trustless public ledgers that can store mm -hmm. data and information, right? And in a world that is increasingly becoming centralized and data dependent with organizations that, that all control that data, we need an alternative. And so one of my previous kind of practice areas in law was data protection and privacy. And so this, yeah. is, this was very much a natural transition for me. It was already a professional interest I had. And I just took to it and continued to learn through reading lots of podcasts as well. So hats off to you again for starting your own because these tools are really invaluable assets for folks that have both been around a while and newcomers that that want to get engaged and want to start learning. Yes, that's, yeah, yeah that's fantastic. My point of view on this whole industry has changed so many times. It has gone back and forth. <laughs> like I, I was trying to set up a, a miner in my laptop in 2012 and mine Bitcoin. And then I was thinking, oh no, this thing is so complicated. I cannot see my parents ever <laughs> using this tech <laughs> and, and or, or anyone in that case using this tech or using Bitcoin to pay anyone and all those sort of things. And it has changed drastically of what I thought because every problem that I've had, blockchain, Blockchain has solved it in a year's time or two years time and added some functionality, which I could have never thought. It's like smart contracts are programmable money. It's, it is such a big innovation that can move the whole global economy forward or, or grow it by many times. So it's, that, that's something that my opinion has changed. Just looking back at tech, law, everything that you have done, what, where have you changed your opinion or where your thinking has changed? Are there any instances like that? Certainly, my opinions have changed on uh, in terms of how quickly Web3 was might achieve mainstream adoption. I previously yes. thought that it was going to be adopted much faster than mm. what we're currently seeing right now. And many of the reasons for that are intentional. We have, again, going back to a common thread here, the difficulties with the U.S. government and the regulatory yes pressures put on the industry cannot be understated. It's really real. I do some policy related work on the side as well. And yeah. I've seen, talked about these things firsthand with congressional staffers. And I would tell you that before the Luna Terra blow up in yeah. what was that? Q2 of 2022, I thought that the hockey stick would probably continue to incline over time yes. because there were just lots and lots of really amazing projects coming to market. Sure, yeah. there were a lot, just as many low not quality. great stuff. Yes. Yeah, low quality stuff out there as well. Yes. But there was active progress on a weekly basis. And I think that was yeah. visible. And then certainly everything changed with both Luna and then following FTX. that. And 
the reputational damage that FTX alone has done to the crypto industry is another thing that just can't be understated. It's really yeah. disappointing. It is, yes. Um, what are your thoughts about MICA, the, the European sort of regulation on crypto assets? Mika's a really great start, I yeah. think. Hey, at least it's a regulatory framework, unlike anything that the US has, which is yes. nothing. At least the European policymakers got together, agreed upon something, put it in writing, and then enacted it. Those steps are are really difficult in any kind of like bureaucratic situation, right? And you have yeah. European Union, a an organization of many member nations coming together and agreeing upon this framework, which is fantastic. Yes. Now, Mika is also limited in a lot of ways. Yeah. It really only addresses stable coins and other fungible coins, right? It does not touch upon DeFi, doesn't touch upon NFTs, which are two of the biggest use cases, in my opinion, in, in all of crypto. Absolutely. So there's lots, there's lots to be desired yes. from Mika, but Mika was meant to be a more narrow focus. I think what the European regulators want to do is outline the circumstances under which New stable coins can come to market, of course, because poorly designed stable coins can have drastically bad consequences, as we saw with, you know, Natera, right? Yes. And, and these regulators also want to make sure that folks that are issuing fungible tokens of, of any nature, whether it's stable coin or otherwise, are coming to them to to provide disclosures and and make it known what their intentions are, so that at the very least there's that initial gatekeeping mechanism in place. Yeah. Apart from Mika, are there any other jurisdictions doing regulation really well that US can look up to? Yeah. Lots of businesses are reorganizing in Switzerland right now for that reason. Yes. They have a really great framework in place. They are very crypto friendly, as you might imagine. They're very supportive of DAOs. And there's obvious tax benefits to organizing in Switzerland as well. Now, it's not exactly a, an inexpensive place to operate and organize, right? These, and, and it takes quite a bit of time to do, but it is definitely the long-term play, especially if perhaps you as a founder maintain more of a pessimistic view on the U.S. coming around to workable crypto regulation and legislation. Yep. that. Yeah, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Yeah, um, go going back to stealth test, what's your vision for stealth test? Where would you like to see it in the next two years? So I, I would love to see stealth test embraced as some of the foundational Web3 building infrastructure that's part of this build, test, and deploy framework, right? So eventually it's... we will continue to, to build out our our software uh, development tools, right? Yes. We will have new ways to spin up default smart contracts. So you don't, don't even have to bring in your own smart contract to our platform. Yes. We'll have a, a list of already pre-populated uh, contracts to choose from, and you can start building right from within that platform, right? And then once you've situated everything with your smart contracts or token assets, you can move them into the private testing environment, continue to iterate, collaborate. And then eventually we will have a one-click kind of deployment button so you can go right to mainnet. And yes. so you can build, test, and deploy all within one single platform. You won't need a, a bunch of different tools. This will be the full stack Web3 experience. And I think that from lots of conversations that we've had with our customers, that's exactly what the market is looking for. It doesn't want a, a piecemeal situation where you have to go and find tools from a bunch of different companies. The enterprise customers in particular are looking for that one-stop shop where you can have 
the full development life cycle. Yes. Right oh, that's fantastic. So does that mean it will also function as an IDE? Uh, what's IDE? So it's it's where you go to write your code like VS Code or Remix or Chain IDE oh, oh, yes, or yes, something yes. like that. Yes. Right now, the current thought process on the product roadmap is not yes. to have that function necessarily, but we will have a bunch of pre-populated smart contracts that you can choose from, and there will be some customizability within those smart contracts. You can kind of what Open Zeppelin does. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, Open Zeppelin has the yeah. way to create your own smart contract and all that. So, oh no, that that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I can see it. It could be a very useful tool for any any Web three developer. Yep, and that way nobody has to touch a public test net, and so yes. saving the industry at large as well. Yep, yep. No, that that sounds that sounds fantastic. So everything that you have shared about, I also saw on your on your LinkedIn profile, you're part of TechGC. Would you like to share a little bit about that? Yeah, so TechGC is a fantastic professional community that I joined um, earlier this year. It's it's exactly what it, it describes itself to be. It is um, a community of of like minded uh, GCs in the technology space, whether it's crypto or traditional kind of web two companies. And they offer lots of really fantastic networking opportunities and they have a kind of a collaboration platform. So lawyers in the space can get together and share ideas and ways of working to create these efficiencies and, and talk about ways to do things better, right? And this is particularly useful for Web3 because we are paving the road as we're driving down it, right? We're building the airplane as we're flying it. And so we don't really have a any precedent to work off here. And so being able to talk about lots of the legal and regulatory issues as they pop up yes. in real time and share share documents to to help ourselves work smarter and work faster has been really invaluable. That's fantastic. My last question is around that. What is your ask? Are you looking for anything? Are you looking to hire, to raise money, to anything else? Feel free to share. Yeah. My ask is very simple. Go give stealthtest.com a try and let us know what you think. I'm easily reachable at Colin at nameless.io. And I would love to meet lots of members of this community, especially the developer community, and talk about ways that we can help you guys work better and work smarter and more efficient, because that's what we're trying to bring to the space in general. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much, Colin, for your time and for all your insights, whether it's on the regulation side or where the whole industry is going. So thank you once again. Thanks for having me, Sam. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening or watching this episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. By now, you know the drill. Leave a comment or share this episode with a friend and leave a review. I would love to hear from you. So that's why my DMs are open. Reach out to me, especially if you are a founder building a product in Web3, then I would love to hear from you. What are your challenges? Is there anything that I can help you or my community can help you with? Thank you once again and wish you best of luck in building your startup or your project.